0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Our sermon text today is Genesis 1, 28 to 31. And the Lord blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, (laughs) and fill the earth. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day.
1: Thank you. You guys can be seated. Let me just say as we begin this morning, as I begin, that I'm very grateful to be here. I'm thankful that we at South Canyon Baptist Church were able to send out the original team of families that form the core for this congregation and thankful for all of you who have been added in the uh, months that have passed since the beginning of this congregation. I'm very, very grateful to be here um, and I pray that God will use this these next few minutes to be a blessing to all of us. Let me pray as I begin and as we begin this time in God's word. Father, thank you for This congregation, thank you for Josh and for Bree and for the leaders and the members of this church and for those who are here today. God, would you build this church? Would you strengthen it? Would you grow it as more people hear about who Jesus is through this church and as more people come to faith in Jesus Christ? We pray, God, that you would be glorified in this congregation and that even from this congregation there would be other churches that would be planted in the coming years and that we would see a multiplication of churches and a multiplication of disciples of Jesus in our city and in this region for your glory. God, take your word that we just heard read and use it as we think about it, as we we hear what you have to say to us today through your word. God, help us to listen, give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to ask you a question, a quiz about the text that was just read to you that's going to be the primary text for the message today. Uh, it's Genesis 1:28 through 31, and I want to ask you to think about this, and if you still have your Bibles open, you can sort of check this. I want you to answer a question for me about the text. Does our text that we just heard read contain a blessing or a commandment? Take just a second to glance at the verses that you just heard, Genesis 1, 28 through 31. Does our text contain a blessing or a command? My answer is yes. It has both, right? It begins with God's, or or with the scriptures telling us that God blessed them, and then God begins to give them commands, or as we're going to call it today, He commissioned the first humans, male and female, Adam and Eve, made in God's image. And so today as we come to this point in your study through Genesis, as you guys have been walking through these early chapters of Genesis, we're looking today and thinking today about the God who commissions, the God who commissions, because really that's what this text is, God's original commission to human beings. Now, I ask the question whether or not this text contained a blessing or a command because as human beings, we're prone to think of those two as opposites. We're prone by nature to think of a blessing as being the opposite of a commandment and a commandment being the opposite of a blessing. But our text today helps us to realize that that is not at all the case. As a matter of fact, it's important for us on the very first page of the Bible where this text comes from to see that that is not the case because God's guidance is our good. God's guidance is our good, or we could say it this way, our purpose defined by God, our purpose and our peace are inseparable. And so it should be easy with that in mind to see how we have both in this text. And in this text, we see the God who commissions those made in his image, that he was both blessing them and commanding them. Or we could say it like this, he was blessing them by commanding them. He was guiding them. And his guidance and our good are inseparable. He was saying to them something about their purpose. From the very beginning, here in this commission, God is speaking to the first man and the first woman about their purpose. And our purpose and their purpose is inseparable from our peace and from their peace. So let me say this as we launch into this text together this morning. Let me just give you, in a sense, the sermon in a sentence. Or you could say it like this, Essentially what Jesus is doing in this text is this one thing. He is explaining that his original purpose for humankind was to establish his kingdom on earth. God, in this text that we just heard read, God explains that his original purpose for humankind was to establish his kingdom on earth. So in the text, that's our primary text today... Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, we see God's original purpose for humankind. But there's actually also a secondary text today. And so if you still have your Bibles open, look down or turn the page to chapter 2. And our secondary text is Genesis 2, 15 through 17. But I want us just to look at verses 16 and 17 at this point. And we'll come back to 15 in just a couple of minutes. Verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So think about what we have. Chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis are in many ways parallel. They come from a different perspective, but they are parallel. And so these two texts, Genesis 1, 28 through 30, and Genesis 2, 15 through 17, help us, when you put them together, they help us to understand God's purpose for humankind. And so specifically in 1, 28 through 30, we see God's original purpose for humankind but in 2:15 through 17 we see God's only prohibition to humankind so his original purpose and his only prohibition think about it he put them in the garden and there was only one thing he commanded them not to do that was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now as we Think about the fact that God's original purpose for human beings, for humankind, was to establish God's kingdom on the earth. It reminds me of something as we think about our purpose originally as God created us. I read this week about a guy who said, I've got a clock that tells me when to get up, but some days I need one to tell me why. Maybe you can relate to that just a little bit, at least on some mornings. But I think our text may be helpful in terms of this because our text today in chapter 1 of Genesis tells us why God created us as humans. It tells us our purpose. It tells us why we should get up in the morning. And especially those of us who not only as humans but also as Christians are trusting in Jesus And depending on Him for our salvation. We should get up every morning with motivation, with purpose. Understanding that God created us for a purpose. And ultimately that purpose was to establish His kingdom on the earth. So what does this look like? That's what I want us to spend a few minutes talking about this morning. I think there are two things that are involved in God's commission. God's original commission to human beings in which he communicated our purpose for being here. The first part of the answer could be put like this. God's image bearers were meant to fill the earth for his glory and their joy. God's image bearers were meant to fill the earth for his glory and their joy. Now, how originally did God intend for that to happen? We see that really right here in this text, but let me give you an illustration to help me explain what I think is being said in our verses this morning. At the beginning of the Roman Empire, the emperors put their images all over the empire. For example, they put their images on statues that were placed throughout the empire, and they put their images, or at least their facial profile, an image of the emperor's facial profile on coins. And so the emperors did this to create a pervasive and an underlying sense of Roman power, Roman culture, and Roman identity. The emperor's image, the emperor's likeness reminded everyone throughout the empire because of these images of the emperor. They reminded everyone throughout the empire that he was their emperor and that they were a part of his glorious empire, his kingdom. And you see the God of glory who created the first man and the first woman in his image intended the same thing. He intended for those made in His image, those who are to reflect Him and who are to represent Him, that they would fill the earth so that His glory would be throughout all the earth. Look again at the beginning of verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God intended for His images Human beings who were made in his image to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. You see, built into the blessing that we read about at the beginning of verse 28 was the ability for human beings to reproduce and to fill the earth, to procreate. Notice the end of that word. God is the creator, but God created us in his image and so that we could, in a sense, play a part In creating all of the other human beings who would ever be on this planet, think of everybody who's on this planet right now. Think of everyone who's ever been on this planet. Think of everyone who may ever be on this planet before the end comes. Only two humans were created directly by God Adam and Eve. And all of the rest of us came from them. And human beings, therefore, were intended by God. A part of what it means to be in His image is that we would participate with Him and partner with Him in filling the earth with those who bear His likeness. The blessing, a part of the blessing, was the ability to reproduce and to fill the earth. Now, humans still have this ability. I say still because something happened, right? After this original commission. Sin entered the world. The one and only prohibition that God gave humans was something that they did. They did the one thing that they were prohibited to do. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we have fallen, but we still bear the image of God as human beings. And so we can still do these things that he intended from the beginning for us to do with him. To be a part of his creation work. I think it was John Stott who said, and I think this is helpful, that there are two words that we should think of when we think of human beings if we want to be biblical. Those two words are dignity and depravity. Neither without the other. We should think of both of those words whenever we think about humanity. Dignity because we were made in God's image and we still bear his image but also depravity because we have sinned in Adam and all of us after Adam have sinned against God I read recently about Michelangelo's signed only signed sculptor that he did there was only one sculpture that he did that was signed it was the statue of Mary holding her crucified son It was placed in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome in the year 1500. And it was there undisturbed basically until 1972 when a vandal broke past the security that was there and smashed it repeatedly with a hammer. The vandal shattered Mary's left arm, severely damaged her nose, her veil... And her left eye. The treasure that had been there all of those years became a marred masterpiece. To me, that's an illustration of what happened in creation and in the garden. God made us his masterpiece in his image, in his likeness. And yet, Satan entered the garden and tempted the first human and his wife, Adam and Eve. And they came, they, they gave in to his lies, they listened to his lies. And now because of that, we have become a marred masterpiece. We still are marked by the image of God, but we're also marred by sin. But God's original purpose still has significance for our lives today because we are created in God's Image. That's not the end of the story about the sculptor or the sculpture that Michelangelo carved and signed. Over the course of the next year, a team of experts gathered all of the shards and all of the slivers and painstakingly, over the course of a year, put them all back together. It was restored to what it was originally. And the Bible tells us that that's exactly what God is doing with those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those of us who are in Christ, those those of us who believe in Christ and are united to Christ, we are a part of a new creation, a new humanity that God is making that will one day in the end fill all the earth with those who will be again restored to the image, because those of us who have been foreknown and predestined, we've been predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. In other words, God's purpose for humankind is going to take place. One day, as Habakkuk 2.14 says it, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Humans were to fill the earth, to reflect and represent God throughout all of the earth. And one day that will take place. Think about it. One day, the meek will inherit the earth. That's a phrase that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek, to describe those who are in Christ. Jesus also said in that same sermon that the pure in heart would see God. Again, the pure in heart, a reference to those who are in Christ, those who trust in Christ. And this is going to happen one day. The meek will inherit the earth. The pure in heart will see God. He will dwell among us on earth We will be his people. He will be our God. And those in Christ, those who are in Christ will live forever in a new creation, in a new heaven and a new earth where only righteousness dwells. So our original purpose is going to be realized. But it's going to be realized through a new creation. People who have become new creations in Christ. And we will fill the earth with the glory of God. We will see God in all of His glory. We will see the glory of God revealed perfectly in the face of Jesus Christ. And we will see the glory of God in one another in that day. Because by then we will have been perfectly sanctified. Or, as the Bible says, that we will be glorified. And so the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That's what Habakkuk says. The second part of our answer to our question is this. We've said that God's image bearers were meant to fill the earth for His glory and their joy. The second thing we would say from this text or that I would say is this. God's image bearers were meant... To rule the earth for His glory and their joy. Now, after the beginning of verse 28, where God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, He continues and He says this to the first humans, And subdue it and have dominion. That is, rule. Subdue it and have dominion dominion. But what does that mean? Here's where chapter 2 verse 15 helps. Our secondary text that's sort of a parallel to our text this morning. Genesis 2 15 says this, the Lord took the man, Adam, and put him into the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So put that together with chapter 1. Chapter 1 says, After being told that they're to fill the earth, to multiply, be fruitful and fill the earth, they're told to subdue it, to have dominion, chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, they're told to work and to keep Eden, the Garden of Eden. Now think about Eden. It was a paradise. It was a garden paradise. You could literally call the Garden of Eden the first temple. Because it was the first place God manifested His presence on earth in the Garden of Eden. Therefore, you could also say that the Garden of Eden was the place where heaven and earth intersected or overlapped. And so, God put them, according to chapter 2, in the Garden of Eden and said to, to work it and to keep it. But then He also has said to them, subdue the earth. And have dominion as you are fruitful and as you multiply. When you put it together, I think essentially what men and women were commissioned to do originally was to expand the garden. To expand this garden of Eden all over the earth as they were fruitful and as they multiplied. To expand this garden where heaven was enjoyed on earth. Until it filled the earth, and the whole earth became God's temple, God's kingdom, until the whole earth was filled with His glory. Now, it's important, I think, to keep in mind the garden and what God was. Telling them to do there and by implication what was supposed to happen beyond that as they subdued the earth and had dominion over it to help us not misunderstand what this means for humans to subdue and to have dominion over the earth. Because it doesn't mean cruelty. It doesn't mean violence. It doesn't mean exploiting or destroying or damaging the earth. It means caring for it. Just like a gardener would care for a garden. That's what human beings were called to do. So what does it mean for us to rule? What does it mean for us to rule or to subdue and have dominion over the earth? I think it means basically two things. Ruling meant cultivation and civilization. Cultivation and civilization. That is development and organization. That's what we were called to do. That's the work that God gave human beings before sin entered the world. This was God's plan from the beginning. And this is an important thing to understand because we tend to think wrongly that work was the consequence of human sin. It was a part of the curse. No. Work preceded sin. God's plan for human beings was always for us to partner with Him and to work. With him as his partner, participate with him in what he was doing. So, cultivation, God, think about it, God provided all that creatures needed that he had created. Then he made man in his image to participate with him and partner with him in cultivating the earth. Cultivating more and more of the earth as they multiplied and as they occupied the earth. Discovering what God had created and using what God had created. God had finished creating when he made the earth, but humans were meant to cultivate and to develop it for the purposes of beauty, for the purposes of plenty, and efficiency. In other words, we were to... Continue, you might say, God's creation project in the ways that He equipped us to and enabled us to, made in His image. Again, we, as we said earlier, as human beings, were meant to procreate, that is, to create human lives. All of the humans who've ever lived on this planet, except for the first two, came. Not directly from God, but through humans. We participated. We participated, if we have children, in what God was doing. But also God meant not only for there to be cultivation, that is, taking the raw materials that God had made when He made the creation and developing them. He also meant for us to organize them, or He meant for us to make civilization. That's another part of what we were called to do. Or we could say culture. Some people refer to the text in Genesis 1 that we're looking at this morning as the cultural mandate. It's God's call to human beings to create civilization or civilizations. To create culture or cultures. God intends for us to work with him. Think about it. God could have filled the earth. He could have at the very beginning created billions of people to fill the earth, but he didn't do that. He created everything and then created us as human beings because he wanted us to participate as his images in the process of filling the earth and developing the earth and finding the potential there for the good of our neighbors, for one another. God intended for us to work with him. Do you see why the word dignity is a good word to remember when you remember human beings and what the Bible teaches about human beings? What a dignified and an important privilege we have to literally partner with God in so many ways as it relates to his creation. So I want you to remember again, work Work was God's plan from the beginning for us. Now, after sin entered the world, the curse made work harder. And it became at times very difficult because of the fall. But work itself was always God's plan. It was His gracious and blessed purpose from the beginning for human beings. But I do want to mention this. There are two dangers that we need to beware of when it comes to work, especially as those who want to glorify God. Two dangers. There are two opposite dangers. The first danger is idleness. Some people sin in relationship to their work because they are idle. They don't work or they don't work at their best. They don't give their best. They don't really do what they should do and can do. They don't give their best. Idleness. The other danger is the opposite. Idolatry. Some people so give themselves to their work that it becomes an idol. That it's what gets them up in the morning. Now, if, you, if, it, if it gets you up in the morning because you understand it's God's calling for you, that's one thing. But if you get up in the morning motivated to do your job because you're really motivated by the desire to have more and more and more things, then it becomes an idol or it becomes something that helps you reach what has become an idol for you. Wealth, possessions, power. So we have to avoid those two extremes, but understanding that work is God's calling for us. As human beings and particularly as Christians, we should be motivated to do work that is good. Work that glorifies God, So I want to ask you a question. Are you working productively? Whatever your vocation may be. Are you doing good work? That is good in the sense that the work you're doing is for the good of other people. And good work because you really are working as you should. You're not seeing work as an evil. And so you're not idle. But you're also not seeing your work as a God. So you're not committing idolatry in it. But you're working because you want to glorify God. God, work is God's plan for us, and it's one of the ways we fulfill what it means for us to have been originally made in God's image. Now, many people, as I said earlier, work to have, and you might say to have and to hoard. That is, they want to keep it all. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks to the Ephesian Christians and says something about having. He says several things about it. First of all, he says to these newer believers, steal no more. Evidently, some of those who had become believers in Ephesus were doing that. And now that they were in Christ, now that they believed in Christ, he's saying steal no more. So human beings can steal to have, that's one way we can have, or we can work to have, which is what Ephesians 4 talks about next, but it doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't just say in Ephesians 4, don't steal to have, work to have. He says more than that. He says work to have and to give. That should be what motivates us when we work. Don't, if you're a believer, don't steal to have, obviously. That's anti gospel. But also, if you're a believer, don't work to have and only to have, because that's sub gospel. Work to have and to give, to bless others. Do you see how that demonstrates the gospel? What is the gospel? It's giving. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. And so when we are generous, when we work not only to have but to give to people who are in need and that we can serve, we reflect the gospel. So let me finish by mentioning two things. I've mentioned one already, but I want to come back to it again. Good work. Good work is a part of God's plan for His creation, for those of us made in His image. And think about good work based on Genesis 1, 28 through 30. Good work is a blessing and a command. Just like our commission this morning. But our commission that we've looked at this morning in Genesis 1 reminds me of another commission. What's often referred to as the Great Commission. So there's good work... That is a blessing and a command, but there's also gospel work. That is a command and a blessing. Listen to the Great Commission. It begins with command. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the command. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then there's the blessing. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we're called to do. This is how this purpose is going to be realized, God's original purpose is going to be realized because it's when we go to all the nations, literally all ethnic groups, and preach the gospel that God gathers for himself a people, a new humanity. Through the preaching of the gospel, God calls forth new creations, people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So in light of the Great Commission, let me ask you another question this morning as we begin to wrap up. Are you making disciples where you are if you're a person who confesses Christ is your Savior? Are you sharing the gospel with others, attempting to lead those who don't yet believe to become disciples of Jesus Christ? There's good work, and it's good, it's important, but there's gospel work, and as Christians we should be doing both. Good work and gospel work, sharing the gospel with people who don't yet believe and sharing the gospel with one another in a congregation, particularly among those who do believe and the implications of the gospel, helping each other to understand the implications of the gospel, what it looks like to really live in a way that demonstrates the gospel. Like in giving, for example, encouraging each other to be generous and to care for people. And to help people as we're able in need. God intends for us to make more disciples, to seek to make more disciples, and to seek to make better disciples among ourselves to help each other grow, to help each other become better disciples of Jesus Christ. So, are you making disciples? Where you are, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And then number two, are you sending or are you going? To make disciples among all of the peoples of the world. Because biblically as a Christian, those are your only two options. Actually, there's one more. You can go, you can send, or you can disobey. Those are the three options we have as followers of Jesus Christ when it comes to the Great Commission. And making disciples of all the nations. So either we are to be going because we sense God calling us to go to groups of people who've not yet heard the gospel or God is calling us, if we're not called to go, He's calling us to send. He's calling us to support in every way we can, financially, through prayer, to support those who are going so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. Jesus, who said, make disciples of all nations, also said this, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached among all nations, same word as in the Great Commission, all ethnic groups, and then the end will come. Do you get it? There's a connection between God's purpose ultimately being realized, the earth being filled with His glory as waters cover the sea. There's a connection between the Great Commission and this purpose now. As we go, or as we help people go, to the ends of the earth Jesus said I'll be with you to the ends of the age so we're to go to the ends of the earth knowing that Jesus will be with us to the end of the age and then at the end of the age Christ will come and he will establish his kingdom here on earth Jesus actually said in the Lord's Prayer pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that will happen one day God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our gospel work is to be a part of that. We partner with God. We participate with God. He uses us. God could have himself communicated the good news of the gospel to all the peoples of the world. But he wants to use those he has made in his image to take that message to the ends of the earth. And so let me finish with this one thought. Every human being on the earth is either in Adam or in Christ, according to the New Testament. Every human being is either in Adam or in Christ. And what that means is, either Adam is, your, is the head Of the humanity you're a part of. Or Christ is the head or the representative of the humanity that you're a part of. Now, how do you get to be in Adam or in Christ? Biblically, you are in Adam when you are born. You are in Adam when you are born. You are in Christ when you are born again. You're in Adam by birth. You're in Christ by faith. And all of those who are in Adam, when the end comes, the Bible says, will be judged and condemned to eternal suffering when the end comes. But all of those in Christ, because of the virtue of Christ and the righteousness of Christ and the death of Christ, those who put their faith in Christ, we will fill the earth. And this earth will be. As the book of the Revelation says, the kingdoms of this world will become or the text says have become because it's anticipating the future, the kingdom of the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and guess what? We will reign with him. You see this dominion part of our text is going to be fulfilled too. To this new humanity that God is making through Christ so I want to just say one final thing this morning to some of you maybe who have not trusted in Christ and believe the gospel and put your hope in Christ alone come to Christ come to him put your faith in him put your hope the full weight of your hope on Jesus for your forgiveness and for your eternal salvation Come to Jesus if you haven't. Let's bow and let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this commission that you gave to Adam and Eve. And Father, how through Jesus and through the gospel and the preaching of the gospel, it will ultimately be realized in spite of our sin and in spite of our fall, And God, help us as your people to be a part of that. Help us to do good work. Help us to do gospel work. And help us to get up in the morning eagerly motivated, knowing your purpose for our lives, and help us to live before you with joy, anticipating these incredible promises that are before us. In Jesus' name.